Thanks to Beta Brand for supporting Muller, she wrote. Beta Brand has the pants to match your style. They have boot cut, straight leg, skinny, cropped, premium denim, six button and wide leg pants in dozens of colors, patterns and cuts. Go to betabrand.com slash AG and get 20% off your dress pant yoga pants. And thanks to Noom for supporting Muller, she wrote. Sticking to a weight loss plan can be hard. Noom is designed for results. It's out with the old habits and in with the new. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash AG. And thanks to Policy Genius for supporting Muller, she wrote. Policy Genius is the easy way to shop for life insurance online. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price at policygenius.com. And thanks to Everlane for supporting Muller, she wrote. Would you buy a shirt for $50 if you knew it only cost 7 to make? We wouldn't either. With Everlane, you never overpay for quality clothes. And right now, you can check out their personalized collection at everlane.com slash AG. Plus, you'll get free shipping on your first order. This is Seth Abramson. I'm the author of Proof of Collusion, and you're listening to Muller, she wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller, She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Amanda Reeder. How are you? Hello, I'm Good. Good. Uh, happy solstice. Yeah. Speaking of the solstice, every year I post a beautiful drawing of a buck under the moon, silvery moon, that says, happy winter, you solstice, you thieving Christian bastards. It's a joke, right? Well, Facebook pulled it down immediately and said I needed to be nicer. And I just sort of sat there awestruck after having watched Maddow's story Friday night. I don't know if you watched it or not. But no, I didn't. it was about the Epoch Times and how they successfully created tens of thousands of bot accounts. Uh, Facebook has so far removed 900. They would use artificial photos made to look like real Americans and then develop a following by being a fan of something benign like horses or NASCAR or cooking or gardening or whatever the fuck. And then once they infiltrated enough on of Facebook and got enough followers, they'd become politically activated and they would start posting pro-Trump lies. And since Facebook doesn't care about political lies that aim to undo Western democracy, they defend keeping those posts alive, but take down my solstice jokes. So fuck that. Truly unbelievable and doesn't bring me comfort about the security of the 2020 election. But there we are. Um, So we do have a great show for you today. Uncle Blazer is back with us. He's back on Twitter. And he's joining us for the interview to discuss a handful of court filings in the five big Trump cases working their way through the courts right now. Um, There are uh, three with the Supreme Court. Uh, Mazers, two Mazers cases and a Deutsche Bank case, and two are with the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And those are the cases that are relevant. Um, And they're really relevant now because of Pelosi's seemingly new strategy, which I think she had planned all along, to withhold the articles of impeachment until the Senate agrees to a fair trial that includes witnesses. And if we get tax returns and Mueller materials and McGahn testimony before such a time, this could really change the face of the articles of impeachment, not the ones that have already been voted on and passed, but new articles of impeachment. Um, It could change that dramatically. We're already seeing new documents from the Office of Management and Budget. We'll get into that today as well. We have so much news. uh, But before we jump in, we have a few corrections. It's our mistake. 
It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. All right, John DeGrazia. He says, I'm a retired teacher, and I very much missed listening to Bright Women Every Day. Your podcast fills much of the void. I'm sure people have written regarding replacing a vice president. It's laid out clearly in the 25th Amendment. If there's a vacancy, the president nominates a new VP who must be confirmed by a majority of vote in both parties. I think you mean both houses. Uh, Yes, Nancy could prevent President Pence from having a VP and then assuming the presidency should Pence go down. I'm eagerly awaiting your first live podcast. I'm here in Eugene. I'm assuming Oregon. Yes, Seattle's beautiful and Portland is edgy, but we're delightful. And you would fit right in. Thank you. Um, I'm going to go to Oregon. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know that the Democrats would like block the nomination of another vice president. That would definitely be overturning the will of the people. Uh, at least the electoral college will of the people, um, that would be politically bad. But I mean, seriously, anything goes right now. So I mean, who knows? We're off script. We are We're way, way off script. Um, Steve Calland said, I know you were just quoting GOP talking points, but I think it's important to make it clear Ukraine is absolutely not the third most corrupt country in the world. That honor belongs to South Sudan per the most recent Transparency International report. That's at www.transparency.org slash CPI 2018. Ukraine is ranked 120th out of 180. Thank you. Uh, I guess the 60th most corrupt country doesn't quite have the same ring. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And Alex Schaefer, your voice is immensely important and has kept me sane. Uh, Part of your bit about the succession and the highly unlikely event of Trump's removal is not quite correct. Pence would become POTUS, appoint a new VP. However, the new VP needs simple majority vote confirmation by both House and Senate. Yes. So if the House sat on it, uh, for example, if Pelosi were like McConnell, until Pence went down, Pelosi would indeed become president. Uh, I just learned this myself, but it's uh, even though Robert Reich wasn't technically right, it's a bit misleading to conclude Pelosi couldn't become POTUS. I know she could. I'm just saying there's a 99.99% chance she will not. And Mm -hmm. again, from the first correction there, I think it's because it would be politically bad for the Democrats to not do that. Now, however, we do have Mitch McConnell unwilling to appoint a judge. Mm -hmm. But can we turn around and, and do the same thing? Like, I'm trying not to go as low. Is turn about fair play, uh, being you know breaking norms and rules, and you know some people say desperate times call for desperate measures. Mm-hmm. But you know I'm also of of the ilk that the systems are important. So yeah. We'll see. Uh, if you've noticed a bit of an echo in here today, we are recording sort of on the fly, on the road, on the roadsies, um, out of town. So uh, I think you'll be okay with it. Um, <laughs> it's, but it, it, I mean, we do have a little echo here. We're at um, Casa Reader, <laughs> um, but it's you know beautiful home. Uh, it just doesn't have all that weird studio foam everywhere. So, yeah. and you know, you've heard us record in hotel rooms. You, you're fine. <laughs> I love you. And, and airplane bathrooms. And airplane bathrooms. That was the best sound People quality. Love of, that one. Any podcast. We'll bring it up all the time. <laughs> Ever recorded. On Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's going to go down like, remember the one time? Uh, and Madeline Gray. I love Emily, she wrote, and the Daily Beans references to Austin Powers, Mean Girls, and Clueless. Um, not so much a screw up as a strong caveat that no one got, no one got carried away with Christianity to today coming out for 45's removal from office. The truth is the cultivation of the white evangelical Christo-fascists has been too long in motion and Christianity today has a low circulation even among that crowd. Yes, correct. Thank you. And she says, by the way, academic Chrissy Stroop 
Um, at C underscore Stroop on Twitter is a specialist in American evangelicism and Russian history who would be a fantastic guest. So we'll reach out to her. Thank you. Uh, Andy Lopata. This is more than uh, an FYI than a correction. You've been wondering on the show whether Giuliani was registered under Farah. Apparently, Farah registrations are online and searchable. Kaludi Rudy's name comes up in a few documents, and there's some links here. But as far as I can tell, he's not actually registered himself. All right, cool. Thanks yeah. for looking that up. I Useful. didn't know that was... Oh, just Google it? Okay. <laughs> okay. So those are corrections. If you have any, please go to MullerSheWrote.com, click Contact and select Corrections, build us a compliment sandwich, and we'll get it right eventually. And if you want more corrections, we're working on some new stuff for patrons in the new year, including video of us recording in the studio, special Q&A and corrections episodes that are ad-free just for patrons, a lot of more bonus content, um, some book uh, review content. Uh, That's in addition to the newsletter, my research notes, pre-sale tickets for live events, private meet and greets, ad-free episodes of our sister podcast, The Daily Beans, plus a ton of thank you gifts. And it all for as little as three bucks a month. Uh, The contributions go toward fair pay, healthcare, and 401k benefit plans for our staff, even the part-timers. So please help us out. And thanks for supporting women in podcasting. We do have a lot of news to get to today. So let's jump in with just the facts. All right, let's start out with the big impeachment news from the week, which is Trump was impeached, followed by Nancy Pelosi's badass strategy to wait to select House impeachment managers, thereby holding up the articles of impeachment. In case you missed it, As I said, Donald J. Trump was impeached this week in two articles, including abuse of power for the Ukraine extortion and inviting a foreign government to interfere in our 2020 elections and Article 2 obstruction of Congress because he has refused to turn over a single document and won't allow anyone with uh, really, really good juice to testify. (laughs) Um, Juice. Juice. (laughs) I've been yelling on Twitter for for Pelosi to wait to send the articles to the full house for a vote because I wanted to wait for the courts to to litigate the McGahn testimony. Oh, dog squeaky toys. That's awesome. We're leaving it in (laughs) because pod dogs are everything. If you hear a bark or a squeaky toy. (laughs) Sorry about uh, that. That's his uh, comfort piggy. So I've wanted her to withhold these articles. I want I want to wait till we get the tax stuff and the McGann testimony and the Mueller grand jury materials, um, Mazars and Deutsche Bank stuff. Um, and I'll talk more in depth about this strategy later in the show with Uncle Blazer during the interview. So stick around for that because we've you know he and I have been going back and forth on Twitter about this for a while. And you know we had initially thought that maybe they would vote in the judiciary and not send them to the full house. Uh, but she had a trick up her sleeve. She got it through the full house. She passed him. She impeached him. And now she's just not going to hire house managers for impeachment, to, uh, which is what triggers the articles being sent over to the Senate. Uh, and the the White House and Trump are now saying, well, I wasn't impeached then. Which, sorry, you were. <laughs> the uh, history books will show. Yeah, I <laughs> think so. I think so, buddy. Um, the gavel came down. So sorry. Uh, and if you don't agree with that, I know you all do that you're who are listening. But if somebody says no, just point them to the Constitution where it says the House has the sole, sole discretion of impeachment it has nothing to do with the Senate. Impeachment happens in the House, in the House only. I wish that Trump supporters would get a tiny constitution in their stockings for this Christmas. That would be so great. That would be nice. Buy your Trump supporting relative a tiny version of the Constitution. Yeah. If it makes him feel more Republican, make it out of plastic. (laughs) And of course, this week we got to see Trump's reaction to the impeachment, which was totally even keeled, level headed and fabulous and very legal and very cool. Uh, no, he wrote a six-page... First, before he was impeached, he wrote this batshit six-page single-space letter. And I want to go over a few things in the letter. Um, first, he says, this impeachment represents an unprecedented and unconstitutional abuse. That is not true. The Constitution, as I said, has the sole power to impeach officials. So it is constitutional. 
Uh, then he says, everyone, you included, knows what's really happening. Your chosen candidate lost the election in 2016 in an electoral college landslide, 306 to 227. That is false. He won 304 to 227. And then he lists a diatribe of his so-called accomplishments, which is he, he's trying to say, because I've done so well, I shouldn't be impeached. Uh, but one of his accomplishments is a colossal reduction in illegal border crossings. That's 100% false. The number of people apprehended at the border has doubled since 2016. Uh, then he said, you forced our nation through turmoil and torment over a wholly fabricated story illegally purchased from a foreign spy by Hillary Clinton and the DNC in order to assault our democracy. That is false. It is not illegal to contract with a foreign person or foreign entity for services, including conducting opposition research in a U.S. campaign, so long as the services are paid for at the market rate. You can't extort them to do it. You have to pay them money. <laughs> That's just how it goes. And as we all know, they, the Republicans were, were paying um, Fusion GPS first mm -hmm. before um, the DNC got a hold of it. And also putting the nation through turmoil over an illegally purchased I don't know if we read the inspector general report, but the opening of crossfire hurricane and the in Russia investigation had nothing to do with the steel dossier. They didn't get the FBI didn't get the steel dossier until after that was open. Talked to Papa dot ran his mouth. So you can talk to him about that shit. Um, he also accused the FBI of placing spies in his campaign, which is false as we know from the inspector general report. Uh, then he goes on to talk about the whistleblower saying like the so-called whistleblower who started this entire hoax with a false report of a phone call that bears no relationship to the actual phone call. That is false, and we know that because the whistleblower account matches the reconstructed transcript that Trump released himself. It matches. This letter reminds me of, like, a, a middle school letter between, like, fighting 16-year-old girls. You know what I mean? You know yeah. when you're fighting when you're in middle school, and it's, like, the worst thing you can possibly imagine, and everyone's really over-emotional and, like, writes ridiculous notes to each other about it? It feels like that. Yes, that is exactly what it's like. You're so right. They fold up a little flap letter, tuck it in. But then my favorite part of the letter, Trump says, I write this letter to you for the purpose of history and to put my thoughts on a permanent and indelible record. I hope you know that this will go down on your permanent record. So that letter was just before he was impeached. And then while he was being impeached, he was on the stage at his MAGA clan rally, where, as we know, I'm sure you've all heard, he insinuated Rep. John Dingell, a recently deceased war hero from the state he was in, was in hell. So, yeah, he's taking it. Trump's taking this really well, this impeachment. And uh, withholding the articles is just going to make him more mad. Um, I like this strategy. I don't know how she'll, how long she'll hold him. A week? Um, a couple of days? Uh, forever? I, I really have no idea. Till his head pops off? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> From rage. And uh, related to impeachment, Trump is now battling new sanctions on Russia the congress wants and we learn that he threatened a government shutdown if dems didn't remove language from the ndaa that's just passed it funded the government uh that would require trump to release future ukraine aid without delaying it he's like nope you got to take that out or i won't sign it and we're going to shut the government down for the holidays and thousands of families will go without paychecks and of course there's the bombshell story that it was putin himself that advised trump on what to do with regards to ukraine when they're like when they asked him you know like what How'd you come up with this Ukraine plan? He's like, Putin told me. So all roads lead to Putin. And we got some emails from the Office of Management and Budget in a FOIA request. And this is big. This is a late Friday night dump of a FOIA request emails that show Mike Duffy from the Office of Management and Budget had ordered the Pentagon to withhold the Ukraine aid just 90 minutes after the July 25th call. 
Uh, Duffy is one of the four witnesses that Schumer is demanding as part of his fair impeachment trial initiative. That's what I'm calling it. Um, He's the Trump pick that replaced Mark Sandy, who did testify in closed depositions Uh, from the article here, quote, based on guidance I have received and in light of the administration's plan to review assistance to Ukraine, including the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, please hold off on any additional DOD obligations of these funds pending direction from that process. So now they're saying this is Duffy saying based on the guidance and in light of the administration's plan and also said due to the sensitive nature of this uh, request. So there's nothing sensitive about like it should be public if you're withholding aid because you're concerned about corruption, which is what. Obama and the Biden and Biden did in the Biden, um, <laughs> the Biden, what they did with the EU in concert with, you know, everybody in the EU they and the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, they all made this effort to say, look, we're going to send you this aid, but you need to stop corruption. You need to battle corruption in your country. That's a not a sensitive issue. That is a public policy. And if you want to, if you're if you have a good public policy, make it. The reason he didn't is because it's not a good public policy. It's a crime. Uh, But my favorite thing this week is just that uh, two days after she impeached his ass, Pelosi invited Trump to give the State of the Union address. (laughs) I saw that. Via a letter. What a bitch move. It's so good, though. Have you read the letter? It's super short. No, I haven't. But it throws a lot of shade. Uh, (laughs) uh, Like, it's so much shade wrapped into just a few paragraphs here. Let me get it up here because you need to hear it. Um She's been the queen of shade the last few weeks. Yes. Yeah. I've been about it. I wavered on my Nancy for a couple months there. I was like, I don't know, Nancy, are you leading us in the right direction? But now I'm like, yes. (laughs) I know. Nancy, take the wheel. I know. And we've gone from, you know, the squad, you know, the year of the squad to the year of the speaker. Mm -hmm. Um, For women, basically. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No matter what. Where's this letter? Is this it? Okay, so here's what she wrote this time. She said, in their great wisdom, our founders crafted a constitution based on a system of separation of powers, three co-equal branches acting as checks on each other. To ensure that balance of powers, the constitution calls for the president to, from time to time, give the Congress information of the State of the Union. In the spirit of respecting our constitution, I invite you to deliver your State of the Union address before a joint session of Congress on Tuesday, February 4th, 2020 in the chamber of the U.S. House of Representatives. So last year it was, I invite you to give your State of the Union on the House chamber floor. This year it's in the spirit of the Constitution and because of checks and balances and the powers, the, you know, and uh, it's separation of powers and all this other stuff. And in, 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 in the spirit of respecting our Constitution, oh my God, she's just so shady. She's like, if I fucking have to. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> all right, we have a lot more news, so we'll be right back after the break. Stay with us. Hey everybody, thanks to Beta Brand for supporting Muller She Wrote. Beta Brand makes my absolute favorite pair of pants ever. The most comfortable pants I've ever worn, the dress pant yoga pants. Best thing about Beta Brand is I can wear these pants to work and then turn around wear them to a cocktail party or really anywhere else. I can wear them to yoga class. Nobody realizes I'm in yoga pants. Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants are super comfy, perfectly stretchy, and they stay wrinkle-free so they pack and travel really well. Beta Brand has a variety of different pants to match your individual taste, so you can choose from dozens of colors, patterns, and cuts, including a pair with eight pockets which I love because then I don't have to take a purse out of the hotel room. Not only has Beta Brand revolutionized office wear, but now they have premium denim with the same flexibility and comfort as yoga pants. Uh, Another thing I love about them is you can help 
you know, turn up and coming designs into full fledged products through their crowdfunding platform. Anyone can join the community and brainstorm and have a voice in deciding tomorrow's fashions. And you'll even get 15% off every time you fund a new design. So you've got to try a pair of these pants from Beta Brand. Trust me, you will love them. And you can get 20% off at betabrand.com slash AG. So don't wait. See for yourself why millions of women agree these are the most comfortable dress pants ever. That's betabrand.com slash AG for 20% off. B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D dot com slash AG. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. We have an update on our favorite, uh, you know, treasonous bastard, uh, Michael Flynn. Oh, I was like, which one? (laughs) Our favorite one. Ah, yes. Uh, The one that the judge actually said, have you guys looked into treason for this guy? That's the him. Uh, All the way back to Monday of last week, Judge Sullivan rejected Flynn's attacks against the FBI and the Department of Justice and finally set a long delayed sentencing date for him. And that's going to be January 28th, which is right close to my birthday. And I'm so happy about this. As we know, Rewind from a year ago, December 18th, 2018, Sullivan was not kind to Flynn in his hearing and said he needed to cooperate more. And he basically insinuated, you do not want me to sentence you today because your cooperation is weak, weak sauce, bro. And so he, he and that's when he asked the prosecutors if they thought about charging with treason. So Flynn went forth to try to cooperate more and was about to testify in the Bijan Kian case. That's his co-conspirator in lobbying on behalf of Turkey. But then Flynn decided to fire his lawyers and hire this Fox News contributor um, named Sidney Powell. And she's a nut job. And she talked him into considering a withdrawal of his guilty plea. And Flynn then went from star witness in the Bijan Kian trial to unindicted co-conspirator, which is not a thing that you want to be in no. a trial. Mm-mm. And so... He, he was a co-conspirator lobbying on behalf of Turkey, but then Flynn decided to fire his lawyers, like I said, and 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 then all everything went to shit, and he became the the unindicted co-conspirator from from cooperating witness to motherfucker. Womp womp. So he did not testify in the Bijan Kian trial, uh, and then Sidney Powell filed for a couple of hundred Brady violations. Brady violations are saying you, the prosecution, the Mueller team, didn't turn over five hundred pieces of evidence that would exonerate Flynn, exculpatory evidence. You have to do that under the Brady rule. And Mueller had done that a couple of times, especially in the Manafort and Gates case, where Gates gave him this new piece of information about Manafort. And Mueller had to say to the courts, hey, I found something that could be exculpatory for Manafort. Gates just told us this, something about the transfer of the polling data um, back and forth. So, you know, that was... And the judge decided it was not exculpatory, but Mueller is no stranger to Brady violations and exculpatory evidence. And here's Sidney Powell, Flynn's lawyer, saying there's like 500 things. Uh, and now, uh, so he 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 was going to be sentenced, like I said, um, this year, uh, December 18th. But the judge wanted to wait until the IG report came out because the IG report was covering if the FBI had any misconduct in opening the investigation or planted spies or framed anybody in the first place, right? Which confirmed no. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it said. It said, no, there was none of that. No spies, no, no frame like, job. <laughs> and uh, now that it has, the judge thrashed Flynn for his accusations that the FBI framed him and even accused Flynn's lawyer of plagiarism, saying she cut whole cloth, uh, a a paragraph from a a Supreme Court decision without citing it, and said that you could be in like severe violation of legal ethics rules. So that could be being looked into. So January 28th, in this latest hearing, the judge completely unimpressed with Flynn's new case, new lawyers and new 
way he's going has now scheduled it for January 28th. So we'll keep you posted. Also this week, Durham, that's the dude Barr appointed to investigate the oranges of the Mueller investigation, is now <laughs> scrutinizing the former CIA director John Brennan's role in the Russian interference investigation by seeking his communication records, emails, phone calls. Uh, as we all know, earlier in the year, Trump gave Barr the keys to the kingdom by allowing him to declassify anything he wants and forcing all agencies to comply with his requests. Uh, he's clearly and blatantly going after Trump's political enemies, which is an abuse of power, an abuse of his office. Nixon did this, um, was almost impeached for it, but he resigned first because he's smart. Uh, but Durham wants to know what Brennan told officials like Comey, the communications with maybe FBI, uh, about the Chris Steele dossier. And I don't understand why, since the dossier had nothing to do with the origins of Crossfire Hurricane. As you know, the FBI did not have it in their possession in July when they opened the investigation. But it shows Trump's continued efforts to discredit the dossier and to discredit his political enemies, anyone who investigated him. And so far, none of this has been uh, has any real, I don't know, fact. There's no art, articulo factual basis. Articulable it's all factual, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to even look into this. And the dossier, none of it's been disproven. So still to this day, but and a lot of it's been corroborated. But, but we're wasting money investigating the fbi and the cia yes cool absolutely uh the, the real witch hunt but they've already used the word witch hunt so we can't use it anymore we just have to go you're dumb <laughs> so it seems that the ig was that's what you do if you're planning on doing a witch hunt you call what the other person's doing a witch hunt it's called reflexive control it's an active measure it's mm -hmm. a russian thing yeah and then when then the other person can't say witch hunt because you've already said that you've claimed that word and like fake news that's theirs collusion is yeah. theirs um hoax uh, so it seems the IG was looking into the FBI's conduct, the inspector general with the report that just came out, they were looking at the FBI's conduct and the FISC and the FISA warrant on Carter Page found it to be fine. Uh, there were uh, 17 errors uh, made uh, in the renewal application for the Carter Page FISA, um, but still didn't have any uh, impact uh, on the investigation either way. Nothing that was, I don't think they gathered anything. And if they did gather anything, nothing they gathered was used in the investigation. And then, now it seems like Durham is looking into other agencies like the NSA and the CIA, looking into Brennan and wherever Trump has political enemies in all those other places. Most and, of his enemies are the FBI, but right. And Durham works under Barr at the Department of Justice. Yep, mm -hmm. he's hired him as a special investigator to do this, to look into this. He's also the one looking into criminal charges um, for the one guy who altered the email in the FISA renewal application for mm -hmm. Carter Page. He's looking into criminal charges for him. I don't think they'll find him. I don't think they'll be able to bring him. But we'll see. And finally, from the Associated Press, um, a Trump advisor told Influential, which, you know, I would say wealthy, but all Republicans are, uh, influential Republicans in Wisconsin, that the GOP has traditionally relied on voter suppression to win battleground states. So this coupled with the citizenship question on the 2020 census, where they admitted to racial gerrymandering to win elections, it's and oh, and by the way, the Trump administration came forth with an additional 2000 documents they were supposed to turn over in that case that and they didn't. And that just uh, could be bad news for them. Mm. Uh, but anyway, so that, you know, they admit that they rely on voter suppression in battleground states. Uh, and it's clear that the GOP can only win when they cheat. So here from the AP traditionally, quote, traditionally, it's always been Republicans suppressing votes in places. Let's start protecting our voters. We know who they we know where they are. Let's start playing offense. That's what you're going to see in 2020. It's going to be a much bigger program, a much more aggressive program, a much better funded program. Um, so that's creepy. 
Yeah, it's they really do rely on gerrymandering and um, bullshit rules. Like your signature has to exactly match. Yeah, or your name. If anything doesn't match in your you know mm-hmm. eight hundred character voter registration card, you're purged from the rolls. This yep. this week they're purging three hundred thousand from. Uh, and like they're purging millions of voters. I think North mm-hmm. Carolina and um, Alabama. Um, it's just it's absolutely unbelievable. And now we have them admitting it. And yeah. so they've admitted the gerry- the raci- the racist gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. Now they're admitting the voter suppression in, in in key battleground states, mostly the Midwest. And I think that's why you, uh, Joelle, and I were talking a little bit earlier about Amy Klobuchar and how mm-hmm. she just kept mentioning she was from the Midwest. And I think it's because. Trump won in Midwest states by only 77,000 votes in his landslide. I like Amy Klobuchar, but her shtick about being from the... It's a little exhausting. (laughs) I'm from the Midwest. I understand that. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of... I do like uh, There's a lot of um, more moderate Democrat... Democratic voters in the flyover states that feel a little left out, it a is, little steamrolled by the coastal elite. Yeah, it is true. But that doesn't give you like carte blanche to know exactly what everyone wants. No, it doesn't. But that's yeah. who she's going after. Yeah, yeah, true. And it is and it is an important block in, in 2020. But it's not the only block. Yeah, exactly. In, in fact, it's like the number six block of people we need. Yeah. In, in important blocks of voters. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be right back after this brief message. We have an uh, awesome sponsor, uh, but we have Hot Notes coming up and the Fantasy Indictment League, so stay with us. Hey, everybody. This segment of Muller She Wrote is brought to you by Noom. It is hard to stick to a diet plan, especially around the holidays. Uh, I try not to OD on gravy and mashed potatoes and stuffing. Joelle, you can attest to that. We're here in Joelle's house. Uh, but I ended up stuffed. Um, oh, well. But I didn't feel guilty about it because... Of Noom, they've taught me how to have a better relationship with food. I've done fasting, uh, intermittent fasting, yo-yo diets, uh, all kale cleanses, but now I just have a nice, moderate, um, love-love relationship with with my food. So whether I'm eating, you know, uh, a kale, a baby kale salad, or a burrito, it's it's all okay. It's gonna be okay. Um, and Noom has really changed the way I think about weight loss, and even actual. Uh, given me lasting results. About a year ago, I started Noom. Uh, I immediately, not immediately, it took me a a few months, but I lost about 17 pounds, but I've been able to keep it off uh, because I've been able to, you know, understand that guilt is not welcome here. And I've learned how to develop this new relationship with food. And and now I've just live a healthier lifestyle. With Noom, you have uh, a weight loss plan in the palm of your hands too. Literally, it's on your phone whenever you need it. You have personalized training and your own support team for less than the price of a single appointment with a nutritionist. Noom makes food traffic super easy with one of the biggest food databases. My favorite thing about Noom is it doesn't use shaming, like I said, and it doesn't say you can't have certain foods. It just teaches you to moderate and how to identify and address obstacles and habits that have been blocking your success. Noom asks you to try something new, just a easy 30-second online evaluation to see how much weight you can lose and keep off. Noom is designed for results. It's out with the old habits and in with the new. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash A-G. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash A-G to start your trial today. Again, Noom.com slash AG. Start losing weight for good. Hey, friends, this segment of Muller She Wrote is also brought to you by Policy Genius. There is nothing scarier than shopping for life insurance, and the idea of looking for life insurance intimidates you. Try PolicyGenius.com. Policy Genius is a simple way to shop for life insurance online, and in just two minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. 
once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork. They do all the heavy lifting, they cut through all the red tape, and there is no sales pressure, my favorite thing, and no hidden fees, just financial protection and peace of mind. Policy Genius can also help find the right home insurance, auto insurance, and disability insurance. So this year, take the scariness out of buying life insurance with Policy Genius. Go to policygenius.com to get quotes and apply in minutes. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. That's policygenius.com, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. All right, welcome back. Hot notes. All right, everybody. This week, uh, Jordan's out. She'll be back um, after the holidays. She's uh, on a vacation, so we wish her well, but I'm just going to do some hot notes today. We have Amy Berman this week, Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, sentenced Rick Gates. Finally, it's been years. And she let us know in the courtroom just how much he cooperated and the extent of the Russian interference. And I'm going to give you what she said here because she was like in the middle of sentencing him. And then she was like, ah, you know what? Let me digress for a second. She said, quote, before I go further to discuss the nature and extent of his cooperation, I think it's necessary to digress a moment to mention the substance of some of that cooperation. Mr. Gates provided information, not hearsay, but information based on his personal knowledge, meetings he attended, conversations in which he was a participant, and information that was verified with contemporaneous records of numerous undeniable contacts and communications between individuals associated with the presidential campaign and individuals associated with Russia and Ukraine. One cannot possibly maintain that this was all exculpatory information. It included firsthand information about confidential campaign polling data being transmitted at the direction of the head of the campaign to one of those individuals to be shared with uh, Russian and Ukrainian oligarchs. It included firsthand information about a meeting with the campaign concerning uh, concerning attending a meeting with Russians for the sole stated purpose of providing information that could be used against Hillary Clinton. That's the famous Trump Tower meeting. And it included firsthand information about claims made by an individual close to the campaign to be in contact with WikiLeaks concerning the release of emails obtained with the DNC computers that were hacked. She's talking about Stone now because she's 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 presided over the Stone, Manafort and Gates cases. Yeah. Um, So she knows all this. Uh, Gates's information alone, she said, warranted, indeed demanded further investigation from the standpoint of our national security, the integrity of our elections, and the enforcement of our criminal laws. Not all witnesses with knowledge did cooperate, and not everyone who cooperated testified truthfully, and many communications were lost to investigators because they were deleted, destroyed, or uh, were conducted on an encrypted platform and not saved. So, But Gates' debriefing, she says, his multiple incriminatory bits of evidence on matters of grave and international importance are a reminder that there was an ample basis for the decision makers at the highest level of the United States Department of Justice, the United States Department of Justice of this administration, Hmm. to authorize and pursue a law enforcement investigation into whether there was any coordination between the campaign and the known foreign interference in the election, as well as, as info... Uh, whether there had been any attempt to obstruct the investigation and leave no stone unturned, no matter what the prosecutors determined they had evidence to prove uh, at the end of that investigation. For those reasons, Gates' decision to be honest about what he did not um, was an important public service. Oh, no, wait, sorry, that can't be right. Don't, no, no need for an edit. I'll just read it again. But for those reasons, Gates' decision to be honest about what he did know was an important public service under the difficult circumstances. So that's why he only got 45 days. Judge Jackson. You love that. She's so badass. God. 
Ugh. But she basically just laid it all out. She's like, I'm Judge Jackson. I've yeah, yeah. seen what Manafort did. I've seen what Stone did. And I've seen what Trump, the Trump campaign did. Mm-hmm. And I've seen what Gates did. And without his honest and forthright cooperation, because everyone else was lying and deleting and destroying and hiding evidence. Yeah. Um, we, He has been so important to our national security. Uh, all you need is one guy to corroborate. Yeah. Right. I mean, not, or, not all you need is one guy, but like his his evidence and his cooperation was so necessary and is bringing everyone else down. And he'll tell you where all the documents are. Yeah. And um, her best line, uh, uh, I thought, of the hearing was politics don't corrupt people. People corrupt politics. Oh, Isn't that good? That's a good one. It's a shirt. That, that I was just going to say that that's a shirt. It's totally a shirt. It's totally a shirt. So she gave him 45 days and he can choose if he wants to do that on the weekends. <laughs> just show up on the weekends and do his 45 days it's hard to be rich and white in i've had zits longer than 45 days dude mm-hmm. sorry i mean to share that with anyone <laughs> <laughs> now you know uh and three years probation he has that as well so have to do like community service ella felicity huffman i would love for him to have to pick up trash on the side of the 405 or something but that's probably not going to happen <laughs> or 75 i don't know what freeways they have in dc uh, side of the metro station there you go <laughs> all right are you ready for sabotage i am all right i am still in for whamageddon I'm out. Aww. Last night we were in the car. Yeah, sad times. Were you listening to serious Christmas music? I, yes, we were. That is yeah. Whamageddon Roulette. Mm-hmm. If you are brave, it enough. was an accident. I turned it on the radio, and there it was. I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Shame, shame. I know. And also this week in sabotage, and I'm sad Jordan's not here because this is a story from way back before you joined us, mm-hmm. uh, Mandy. We have an update on Jolo. Jolo. Uh, Jolo, the Malaysian guy who stole billions of dollars from one MDB fund, which is a Malaysian fund, and laundered it with the help of two Goldman Sachs bankers. Uh, well, Goldman Sachs is about to reach a settlement for their involvement in the scheme, and it looks like it could be $2 billion for ignoring money laundering red flags and pocketing $600 million from the scheme. Uh, one of the bankers, Tim Leisner, pleaded guilty to stealing more than $200 million from 1MDB and agreed to a lifetime ban from securities. He's now cooperating with investigators to look for more indictments. That's what the sabotage is about, because guess how many Trump associates worked with Jolo? How many? <laughs> we have Chris Christie. You know him. We have Mark Kazowitz, a, a Trump attorney who helped Kushner get a loan from Deutsche Bank. We have Bobby Birchfield, an ethics advisor for Trump. Such a funny job title. We have Ed Rogers, who is a Republican lobbyist, and the big one, Elliot Broidy. Uh, this was the what-the-fuck moment of 2018, because Joe Lowe met Elliot Broidy through Pros Michelle, one of the founding members of the Fugees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, God. What a weird world we live in. I know. In. <laughs> and if you've been listening to Mueller, she wrote for, for a long time mm-hmm. now, then you know when like Leonardo DiCaprio got dragged into this, Ice Cube's been a part of it, and now... Wait, I, I don't have Michelle. context to that. I need to listen to old episodes, From clearly. <laughs> so Jolo is now close to the former criminal Malaysian prime minister, Najib Razak, who was arrested last year on Kuala Lumpur for embezzling from the same fund as Jolo. And the $2 billion fine would be one of the largest levied by the Justice Department. So that's sabotage today. Did you say $200 billion fine? $2 billion. What the fuck? $2 billion fine. Largest levied by the, one of the largest levied by the Justice Department. Uh, so that think about those guys when you're when you're coming into the fantasy indictment league. You're going to play it with me this week. Are you ready for the fantasy indictment league? I am. 
I'm gonna be indicted! No, wait, it's gonna be a indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm gonna be indicted! Hold it, they can't. It's gonna be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down, I'm gonna be indicted! Alright, so I went first last week. Jordan's not here. That means she's forfeited and seniority gives me the first pick, <laughs> according to the rules that I've just made up. So I am gonna go with uh, a Parnas plea deal. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to play this week. Alrighty. Um, I'm going to have Giuliani then. Nice. I'm going to go with Elliot Brody. He's just, he's got to go down sometime soon. I'm going to go with Trump inaugural. Good. Good one. Uh, I'll do Fruman superseding. Okay. I'm going to go with, hmm. I'm going to go with a rando Ukrainian. Ooh, Nice. Noise. Mm-hmm. Ukrainian connected, right? Yes, a rando. Yeah. Yes, some. Yes, someone who is connected to Ukraine. Yeah, mm-hmm. got it. How many do I have left? You have two left. Um, I'm gonna go where I was gonna do uh, Kajawa, but he's already been indicted, and I didn't get points for him. No. I took him off the same week I took Nader off, and, Tragic. They, and they both got indicted. Um, but that time for donating to Hillary Clinton's campaign. That's funny. <laughs> Um, I'll go with, uh, Pecker. Pecker. I'm going to do Barrick just to annoy Jordan. Oh, Barrick. Uh-oh, Jordan. Ha ha ha. Because <laughs> she's not here. <laughs> Thievery. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, I will do, um, American Media Inc. Mm-hmm. They don't normally, I mean, it's pretty rare that they indict a entity mm-hmm. but sometimes it happens usually they indict sometimes. like weiselberg they'll do weiselberg instead of the trump uh, mm-hmm. organization um or they'll do the executives like david pecker instead of ami or the, the little, little lawyers i think with dylan howard is the ami lawyer but sometimes they indict the actual yeah and because you you pick barrick instead of but also trump inaugural they're yeah. they're connected they're connected hmm who should i do for my last one? Ooh, i don't know um you could do jizz lane oh that is a good one Love yeah the jizz lane. i that is a good one um i'm i know it's really morbid because she's like a fucking terrible person who's done a lot of fucked up shit but i'm like endlessly fascinated with her yeah it's a fascinating story yeah it really is and it, and, and i don't think there's anything morally wrong with being fascinated by because like I, yeah. when, when i was younger when i was in college i was way into like studying serial killers yeah yeah have you so. seen killing eve no Okay, you should watch that. Is that good? Okay. Yeah. Serial killer being obsessed with female serial killers. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So like Eileen Vernos and Um, I'm trying to think of how many female serial killers there are, but it's a female serial killer obsessed with female serial killers. Well, it's it's an investigator who works for MI6 who's obsessed with a particular... She's obsessed with female serial killers, but she gets put on the case of one and then they get obsessed with each other. It's You'd like it. You should watch it. Killing Eve. Yeah. Who's in it? Um, Sandra Oh. Oh. I love her. Yeah, she's rad. She's from Sideways. She's so great. Yeah, I know. All right, everybody, we have a very important interview after this break. You're going to want to hear it. It's um, Uncle Blazer. He's back on Twitter and he's back on our show. And we are going to talk about, uh, I think, three or four different court filings that hit in the five big Trump cases and the five big Trump cases. And they're working their way through to the to and through the Supreme Court right now in case you need a refresher are the Mazars case filed by Oversight Committee, the Mazars case filed by Cy Vance, Manhattan District Attorney, the Deutsche Bank and Capital One case filed by the House of Representatives, and a couple of committees in the House, I think, Finance and Oversight. Uh, and 
the then the other two are Mueller related, the McGann uh, testimony uh, subpoena case and the Mueller grand jury materials case. The two Mueller grand jury material mm-hmm. and McGann cases, they're going to be heard January 3rd in D.C. Court of Appeals, mm-hmm. D.C. District Court of Appeals. The other three have been uh, picked up by SCOTUS and will be heard in, um, in March uh, with uh, decisions to come out in June, July time frame. They're, they're at latest usually. That would be the latest. So uh, we're going to go over all the nuts and bolts of that with Uncle Blazer right after this. Stick around. Hey everybody, it's AG. I hate overpaying for clothes, especially, you know, the wardrobe basics that I like. Black tanks, I wear a lot of those. Uh, Black t-shirts and uh, black skirts, fit and flare stuff. Um, But especially the high-end stuff that's been marked up astronomically. That really bugs me. So I will never do that again because there's Everlane. Everlane makes premium clothes with the finest materials, but without the insane markups. So you'll never overpay for quality clothes. The way they do this is by partnering with the best ethical factories around the world. And they share the true cost of every product they make with the consumer using radical transparency, which is not only awesome, but it's fun to say that, like a surfer guy, like Keanu Reeves, radical transparency. Uh, Seriously, whoa. Seriously, though, Everlane's clothes look and feel better, cost less, and last longer because they sell directly to the consumer. Their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. They have everything from grade A cashmere sweaters and Italian shoes, Peruvian Pima tees, and this new jacket I got made from recycled water bottles, which I love. I love sustainability. You know that about me. These clothes are beautiful, comfortable, ethical, and much less expensive because they get rid of the middleman. So that's really awesome. Nobody likes the middleman or middle person. And right now, now, you can check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash AG, plus you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash AG. Everlane.com slash AG. You'll be glad you did. All right. Joining us for the interview today, fresh off his comeback on Twitter, is Uncle Blazer. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for being here. All right. So we have a lot to talk about, as I'm sure thousands were thinking of you, when uh, Nancy Pelosi announced after the impeachment vote, passing both articles in the full House of Representatives, that she intended to wait to see what the Senate trial rules would look like before she decided to hold votes for the House managers. And the vote for House managers is effectively the tool that sends the articles to the Senate. Um, Now, you've been talking about this for a while, and mainstream media, Republicans and many Democrats were all saying that the Senate trial would be fast and immediate. She would send them right over. But uh, we were talking about this with you about waiting a minute. Um, So let's talk a little bit about this plan um, and how you see it playing out. Uh, What did you think of that? Did you see that announcement? What, What was going through your mind at that point? Yeah, well, you know what I've been thinking for a few months is that they should just wait and not vote at the full house of representatives instead vote in the judiciary committee and then hold the articles in the judiciary committee as sort of a clearinghouse. let the the six investigations that are going on or the, at least the six investigative committees uh, come up with everything they have submit it to the the judiciary committee Judiciary Committee votes, the Judiciary Committee then just holds everything until it's all ready and then submit it to the House for a vote. Um, so I, I think um, when when I saw that the, that the articles were going to a full vote of the House, I was getting nervous, I'll admit it. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been pretty uh, staunch in saying that there's no way the case would be sent to the Senate um, unless it was an ironclad case. And the reason I've been saying that is because that's what Nancy Pelosi's been saying. Yeah, and we kind of thought that a full House vote 
would be the thing that would trigger the articles being sent to the Senate. At least I was operating off that assumption. I was definitely operating under that assumption as well. And I, you know, I'm not an expert on uh, the internal rules of the House and the Senate, but my understanding had been that once a vote uh, had taken place, that the articles would sort of automatically flow over to the Senate. Or, or at least I also had this sort of background concern that somehow McConnell would, would just take the case and say, I don't care whether you've given it to me or not, I'm taking it. Um, but I, I didn't really take into account the fact that the, the the House is the one who presents the case. And so it, until they're ready to present the case, you can't really try it. Um, and uh, I, I think that the, the giveaway was when the uh, House Democrats invited Larry Tribe to come and sit in on one of their strategy sessions. And that happened over the weekend of December 7th. And when Tribe came back from that meeting, he immediately took to Twitter and started talking about this plan that he had come up with, that, that what if you just uh, vote on the articles of impeachment and hold them and don't send the case over? And when I saw that, I, I, I will say, when I saw that, I knew that was the plan. <laughs> um, immediately when I saw that, that tweet by him, and I'll tell you why, because Tribe has been extremely hard on Pelosi for months on Twitter. He has been all over her, uh, you know, complaining about every step she's taken and questioning every single thing she's done. All of a sudden he starts floating this idea and then he starts offering, uh, you know, unquestioning support of the House Democratic team and, uh, and of Pelosi after having attended a strategy session with them. And I, I realized this is what happened. They had this plan this is what they wanted to do, and they called in the country's foremost constitutional law expert to make sure they were right and that they could do it. I, don't, I do not believe this was Tribe's plan. I believe that this was the House Democrats' plan. They brought him in to, to fly-spec it and make sure they hadn't missed anything and that McConnell wouldn't be able to pull the case out from under them. And he approved the plan and immediately took to Twitter announcing it, and, and I knew that was it. I thought that was what they were going to do. And, and when, when Tribe was on board that it would work, I mean, he's the man when it comes to the Constitution. Um, I, I think all of us agree on that. And, uh, you know, he, he was pretty confident that this would work, and so I became pretty confident it would work too, and I, I think it's a great plan. Yeah, and I think we're still speculating that the ultimate goal of this plan is to hold the articles until we get these court rulings uh, in, in the Mueller, um, you know, Mueller grand jury materials case and all that, uh, the, 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 the five cases that you and I have been talking about um, pretty much nonstop for the last three or four weeks because a lot of stuff has gone pretty fast with those cases. And, and we, we did get uh, a few. Now, do you still think that is the ultimate goal here is, is to wait until we at least have those, some of those things litigated? I think that we're going to default to that. And the reason I think that is because there's simply no way McConnell is going to agree to a fair trial. If McConnell were to next week say, okay, fine, we'll give you your witnesses, we'll compel the document production that you're requiring, and we'll have a fair trial, then I think that the House would send the case over to the Senate. The problem is that would be extremely bad for Trump. I mean, those documents are going to have incredibly incriminating. I mean, we're talking about all the emails sent among all of the different, you know, Trump uh, cabinet members and 
uh, various officials throughout the government, we know that that documentary evidence is going to be terrible for Trump. We also know that testimony from people like Mulvaney and Bolton are going to be terrible, and Pompeo are going to be terrible for Trump. So there's no way they can agree to a fair trial if what fair trial means is turn over all the documentary evidence and all of the witnesses. So it, it, it really strengthens the hand of the Democratic Party because what they say is, no, 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 we're holding up the, the articles of impeachment until you agree to a fair trial, knowing full well that the GOP simply can't agree to a fair trial. Mm-hmm. And so in effect, what happens is you, you, you're, you're never going to have the articles go over to the Senate until they agree to a fair trial. They're never going to agree to a fair trial. And so therefore, you've bought yourself all the time you need to complete your investigations, make a case that's absolutely overwhelming, even without the evidence, any further evidence on Ukraine. You know, once you get his tax returns and you get the Deutsche Bank documents and you get the um, unredacted Mueller report and grand jury materials, you get McGahn to come in and testify before the House, I mean, then the the House of Cards has really fallen, and then you can send the case over to the Senate, and the Senate ha- really has no choice at that point but to but to, I, well, I suppose they could still acquit Trump, but they're going to do it in the face of overwhelming evidence of criminality, and you know, compromise to foreign powers, which strengthens us holding them to account in 2020. Totally. And and before we get to these filings this week, you had also brought something up on Twitter um, about what Turley had said during the, you know, when we had the four scholars uh, come in and, and testify in that hearing um, about him saying, you know, that to, to wait for litigation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know that that's been on your mind. Yeah. So Tur- Turley really had a, a, a beef with the way the House Democrats were running the process and said, listen, you guys should go to go to court and fight to get the witnesses and the documents. You're rushing and you're you're you know you're you're compiling a case that's not complete, and you really should complete your case. And the the flaw in that argument, or or what that argument reveals, anyways, is that okay. Well, if we're if if you believe that we can't actually compel the witnesses to testify and we can't compel Trump to turn over the documents then you wouldn't be telling us that we should go through with this fight in court in order to complete the case. So, so necessarily, that argument means that, you, that, that Turley must believe that the House Democrats would actually win if they were to pursue their, their, uh, those cases in court, that they would be able to compel people like Mulvaney and Pompeo and Bolton to testify, and they would be able to compel Trump to turn over the documents that he's withholding. And so, in, in essence, what, what Professor Turley is conceding is that Trump is obstructing the investigation. Because if, if your position is uh, you, you, your case isn't complete, you need to complete it, and the way to do that is to go to court, then you're saying that Trump is obstructing the investigation by not complying with lawful demands for witnesses and documents. And so I, I, I am troubled by that argument. It's disingenuous at, at best, and the harder he pushes against uh, the first article of impeachment, the 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 harder it, it rebounds against him on the second article of impeachment because you're you're conceding obstruction of Congress, and and but that's a problem with the the entire GOP argument here. You know they 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 say 
that the house hasn't done enough that the house hasn't hasn't you know it's everything's hearsay and you don't you don't have all the witnesses well trump isn't letting them have the witnesses so to the extent that there is a is you know an incomplete record here that's of trump's making and and is due to trump's obstruction of the of the investigation but uh one thing though to to turley's argument and to trump's argument or the gop argument um the dems haven't filed to litigate uh, compelling the testimony of Mulvaney and Bolton and, uh, you know, Duffy and all these folks, Blair. Uh, they've only, they're only litigating the, the Mueller uh, grand jury and McGahn obstruction stuff. So why didn't the Dems, if their, you know, if their idea was to kind of withhold this and, and let this litigate, why didn't they file for for the compelling of the testimony and documents in in Ukraine, and they only did it uh, in the Mueller case. I think it was a strategic choice in that they wanted to end up exactly where they have ended up, which is they had enough evidence to make their case and to to demonstrate clearly abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. And so there was no need to get any more evidence. And so rather than going and getting that evidence, they, they essentially gave the GOP enough rope to hang themselves to complain about the lack of evidence so that they could then impeach Trump and say, well, if you guys think that we don't have enough evidence then you need to have a trial that includes all of that evidence. And so we're not sending you the case until you agree to have that trial that, that gets all that evidence. Yeah. What the House Dems didn't want to do was wait and not impeach Trump and fight for months in court. And all the while Trump skates and he's an, he's an unimpeached president. They had what they needed. They, they had, a, they had the, the trans, well, call it a transcript of the, uh, of the call between Trump and Zelensky where, where Trump, you know, asks for a favor um, and shows very clear evidence of abuse of power, extortion and bribery as well, which are, which are embedded in that abuse of our, uh, I'm sorry, abuse of power count. And so they had, they had what they needed to impeach him and exert this leverage that then buys them time to complete their investigations. None of this, I, I refuse to believe that any of this was accidental. Yeah. The, the, the Democrats have been incredibly strategic every step of the way. And I believe that, that they did this very intentionally. And I don't mean that in any nefarious way. I think they just real, I think they would have preferred to get the, the, the witness testimony and the documentary evidence had Trump agreed to provide it. Once Trump made clear that he was going to fight that and it was going to take, you know, three to six months in court to fight and get that evidence, they said, well, we've got enough. We're going to just impeach him and then we'll turn it over to the Senate and, and tell them you guys agree to have a fair trial or Trump can just sit there stewing in, in his impeachment. Yeah. And you don't want to weaken your case, Ukraine case, by filing for these additional witnesses and documents when you do have enough evidence um, in, in front of you to impeach. And then you can always reserve the the testimony and documentation of Pompeo and Mulvaney and uh, vote and Duffy and Blair and Bolton, you can always use that as the fair trial leverage. So that's, I think, probably how they split that up. I think that's right. But meanwhile, they haven't dropped the McGann case. No. And they, they definitely still want to get McGann in the door. Yeah. And so let's let's talk about the McGahn case and the Mueller grand jury materials cases that we got a few filings in this week uh, in both of those cases. Um, 
and th- these are arguments for expedited results uh, as far as, you know, we're still these are still part of impeachment to show totality of evidence or they're in their own category of impeachment investigation. Because when Nadler filed for the grand jury materials and the McGahn stuff uh, that that was sort of done. Well, it wasn't sort of it was explicitly done under Article one powers of impeachment on its own. And so and then there was a couple of Trump filings uh, to to moot the cases based on impeachment being done. And in another case, to dismiss based on jurisdictional reasons. So can you explain to us what's going on in these filings? Yeah, I think the the first thing to note is that the impeachment inquiry is not over. Uh, the, the House has not taken any steps to end its impeachment inquiry. The fact that it voted on articles in, of impeachment does not in and of itself end the impeachment inquiry. And the House is already on record in court saying the impeachment inquiry continues um, that was in a filing made earlier this week. Right. And they they even explicitly said, despite any Senate trial outcome, the impeachment inquiry continues. That's right. And and I think that the first thing I looked for was, um, you know, trying to get a, a, an understanding of why there were no Mueller related counts including in, included in the articles of impeachment that were uh, put forward in the House. And what I heard coming out of the mouths of the leadership in the uh, Democratic caucus in the House was two things. One, uh, those cases are subject of ongoing litigation. And number two, we haven't gotten the evidence that we want to make our case. And and what I took that to mean was they were not willing to just take the, the redacted Mueller report and say, we're going to rest on this and we're going to say that Trump obstructed justice. They want to do their own inquiry into the, the, those materials and come to their, you know, have their own hearings and come to their own conclusion on the, on the evidentiary record that Trump obstructed justice, whether or not he obstructed justice. They, they want to make that, that, draw that conclusion themselves. And in order to do that, they've got to get McGahn to come in and testify before them, and they've got to get the unredacted Mueller report. We don't know what's behind those blackouts in the Mueller report. Right, because if you don't do that, if you don't take those steps, then the Republicans have the talking point that you used a thinly sourced redacted report that fell flat, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that, you know, is and we did see this in court filings and we heard it out of the mouths of leadership. We have to do these investigations ourselves. Oh, that's right. I mean, absolutely. The GOP would have would have stomped on the floor and and cried that the House didn't do the inquiry itself, that it just relied on the on the Mueller report and and a redacted Mueller report at that. You know, so it's the same old game that they play. You know, they withhold the evidence and then they say, how dare you proceed without all the evidence? <laughs> well, well, just give us all the evidence. We've asked for it. And you're, you're refusing to give it to us. And they say, well, then go fight it out in court. And that's a long, drawn-out process that takes months. Well, luckily, on the, on the Mueller grand jury materials and the McGahn case, those cases were filed in July. So they're already both at the circuit court level and are going to be, you know, they're, they're capable of being resolved within the next few months. I mean, I think both of those cases will get, uh, they're both being heard on January 3rd, and we will hear, um, we will get rulings on those promptly because they're in the context of an impeachment inquiry, and they should go to the Supreme Court this term, just like the, the financial cases. But taking a step back to the, the, the mootness question, 
um, there's basically two two fights going on in court right now. The first is uh, the the uh, DOJ is trying to say that the House is no longer in an impeachment inquiry. I think that's just going to fall flat because it's just factually incorrect. The, the House has been very clear that their impeachment inquiry continues. They've already represented that to the court. They determine their own rules. And the court is, I, I find it very hard to believe that the court would side with DOJ on that and conclude that the impeachment inquiry is over merely because some articles of impeachment were voted on that have absolutely nothing to do with the Mueller grand jury materials or the McGahn case. Yeah, and a little bit beyond that, too, they're not only saying it's its own separate impeachment inquiry with Mueller and McGahn, or, you know, McGahn and the Mueller materials, but that they also do relate to this particular impeachment, uh, of, you know, in the Ukraine scheme, because they show a pattern of behavior. So it's sort of, they're applying it to this and as its own impeachment investigation, or at least under a, jo- a larger umbrella of impeachment investigation. So that I think that's their argument to expedite these January 3rd D.C. Circuit Appeals Court cases. You're right. It, it's twofold. It's both to support their own inquiry and to support the case that they're sending to the Senate now. And then the, the other argument that's going on right now is a jurisdictional question where DOJ is taking the position that that the court's don't have the ability to resolve these kinds of disputes between the executive and legislative branches, and that the the legislative branch should be left to its own devices to use either inherent contempt or the power of the purse to com- to try to compel the executive branch to do what it wants to do. Which is a counter to the GOP argument that this should be litigated in court. That's exactly right. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a it's whack a mole. Right. You know, they, they say they say, well, if you want the evidence, you've got to go get it in court. And then they say, oh, and you also can't go to court. Um, so it, it, it's disingenuous. It's it's contrary to precedent. Um, it, it has gotten a little bit of traction with the court in, in the hearing um, in the uh, Mueller grand jury material case. Um, one of the judges that sort of the swing judge on the panel uh, Judge Griffith indicated that he was interested in this argument that that oh this is interesting maybe maybe the courts shouldn't get involved when the dispute is between the executive and legislative branch. I I don't know whether uh, he'd actually thought that through and you know was familiar with the precedent on that question. I mean, he's a he's a pretty seasoned judge, so I imagine he has some idea of of what the precedent says. But they would have to buck an awful lot of very strong precedent indicating that the courts, in fact, do have this jurisdiction in order to come out and and rule that they don't. And even if they were to reach that that conclusion, that's clearly erroneous. And and so if it goes to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court should rule against that. The the problem is so this is this is the fear I think. The fear is we get a bad ruling on that jurisdictional question from the circuit court. That issue goes up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court doesn't rule on the merits and only rules on the jurisdictional issue, sends the case back down to the circuit court to to consider the merits of the case, and we find ourselves killing months and months of process. Where, where rather than reaching the, the merits, we, we get hung up on a jurisdictional question that gets sent back down to the lower court. I, I don't think that that's where we're going to come out. I, I think that given that we're in the context of a impeachment inquiry, I think even if the court were to reach, if the circuit court were to reach that conclusion, they would probably issue 
um, rulings in the alternative, like was done in the in the Vance case in the circuit court, where the the court said, you know, here's how we're ruling on this jurisdictional issue, but we're also going to reach the 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 merits of the question, and so that the Supreme Court can review both. Um, so I, I I don't think we'll we'll find ourselves in in worst case scenario land, um, but but that's that is a fear. Yeah, I I can imagine um, that because I mean I sort of take this uh, you know Griffith being interested in the jurisdictional question as just covering all of his bases, uh, so that it's not questioned in the Supreme Court, um, and and uh, just you know to check all the boxes before it gets sent up, which it will, because that's the whole tactic is to delay an appeal. So uh, there was also a couple of minute orders issued this week uh, in the McGann and and a pair of them, one for the McGann case, one for the Mueller grand jury materials case, where the judge said, I need briefings from y'all by December 23rd, which is Monday, I believe, uh, as to how you see this impeachment vote uh, affecting these cases. And, uh, as you know, I, I'm assuming that the government is, is going to say it doesn't and Trump is going to say it does. And then they'll just uh, still hear those cases uh, on January 3rd. I mean, that w- that wouldn't change the January 3rd set for merits arguments. I mean, I suppose the court could could reach the conclusion that, OK, we're no longer an impeachment inquiry, so we'll let you go forward with this case, but we're going to now put it on the back burner and it's no longer going to be uh, considered urgent and, and you know, we're not going to hurry anymore. I, I, as I said a minute ago, I, I just don't see any way the court can conclude that the House is not in an impeachment inquiry anymore when the House says it's in an impeachment inquiry. Only the House, the House determines its own rules. That's That's right in the Constitution. And so I don't see how the uh, the court can tell the House that it's not in an impeachment inquiry when it says that it is in one and it has voted on to say that it is in one. It never voted to say that it wasn't in one anymore. So so I I, I think the, the parties will brief that issue. And I, I think that's one that the court just can't get wrong. They're going to have to conclude that the impeachment inquiry continues. Yeah. And so then all odds being even, and let's say this all happens and they all get all five get hurt in this term. Do you see Pelosi holding the articles until we get resolution in these cases, considering we might not get the rulings until June or July? Uh, unless at some point between now and then McConnell agrees to have a fair hearing. Yeah. I, I think that the, I, I do not think that the house is going to send the case to the Senate for a, sh- a sham trial where there won't be any witnesses called and there won't be any documentary evidence presented. Uh, and so it, it, that gives them the leverage to hold the case as long as they need to either compel McConnell to come to the table and agree to a reasonable trial or to allow them to complete their investigation and present the ironclad case that will seal Trump's doom. And I, I think that they have the, the, all of the leverage they need to get this thing done. And if it needs to go until June, it'll go until June. Okay, so there's kind of two paths here. Um, both are wins for Democrats. Either we get the fair trial, and fair trial, assume I'm assuming, means we get our witnesses, um, or we get this documentation and the articles get beefed up and there's another resolution or they're added to the articles or something, and then, then that gets sent over to the Senate, and good luck trying to acquit him at that point. Is that sort of the two paths that we see? I think that's exactly right. 
I think that I think that's where we are, and I think we're going to stay in this holding pattern for some time, some number of months, uh, until until the dam breaks one way or the other. And do you see any downsides in holding off until a fair trial? I mean, I know the Republicans are going to cry foul, and I think their new argument is that the, the president actually has not been impeached uh, because technically until they send it to the Senate, the impeachment isn't uh, real. I don't know. It was some Laura Ingram thing. I mean, they're going to they're gonna whine and cry. Either we're too slow or we've rushed it or it's not real or uh, et cetera. No due process. There's always going to be an argument. So that aside, are there any other downsides uh, in holding off until a fair trial or we get this this other um, documentation? No, I you know I think that I I read a thread by uh, Seth Seth Abramson on Twitter a couple hours ago where I think he he summarized this pretty nicely how this negotiation is likely to play out, and I think he's right that the wild card here is what the media does, and if the media runs wild with reporting saying, you know the the Democrats aren't sending the case over to the Senate and they're being so unfair and this is this is terrible what they're doing to to Trump. That's going to create a lot of pressure on the on the Democrats, and so I think you know we as the as the electorate need to to be aware of that kind of pressure being placed by the media and not fall for it. I think is our is what we can do is not fall for that argument from the media who who may you know get a little feverish and really want this Senate trial to happen and start really pushing for uh, a Senate trial on whatever terms McConnell wants. Which the media would want because of the ratings. Yeah, they want that because of the ratings. And they also just tend to fall for, for you know, Trump's propaganda. I mean, I hate to say it, but the, you know, he's really conditioned the, me- the media now to be, you know, af- afraid of him and to, you know, be fair and balanced, which means present his propaganda as if it is news. And so... I I do fear that the mainstream media will begin to, you know, that what they'll, they'll just they put out headlines that say, repeat things that Trump is saying that aren't true, um, and because they feel like they need to report on what he says, even though it's not true, and and you you create this propaganda machine that's sponsored by mainstream media repeating Trump's lies, and. Hopefully we don't fall into that cycle again. Hopefully we've learned our lesson and, and we don't have a repeat of the Mueller report with, you know, wild reports of total exoneration and, and you know, no, no collusion, uh, no obstruction just because Trump says so. Um, I, I, I hope we've learned that lesson. We'll see. Yeah, and and I I promise we'll do our part as a member of the media uh, to to not villainize this uh, process. And and listeners, you can do your part. Call your rep over the break. Go to their offices. Show up. Call your senators and say you support the withholding of these articles until a fair trial is set. And uh, I think if we get get our voices up, get get loud enough about it, uh, I I think maybe we can overcome that. Uh, that what are they the 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 other estate, the media, <laughs> the for, the fourth branch of the government. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you talking to us. Um, and uh, it's good to have you back on Twitter. Thanks, AJ. Happy holidays. You too. Happy holidays, everybody. Uncle Blazer. Thanks for being on Mueller. She wrote. You got it. All right. That's our show. Thank you guys so much. 
um, for everything, for your support all year. It's been a wonderful, wonderful, interesting fire hose shit show of a news year. Uh, <laughs> and here we are. The president's been impeached. We've been we've had our eyes on this for a while. Um, and so I hope that you see it for the big picture uh, mm-hmm. that it is that the arc of justice is long or the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We do get to these things. It just takes a, a minute and we appreciate your patience with us. And we hope that we've helped get you through that at mm-hmm. least a little bit in some sense. And, and not just us, but this whole community that we've created of listeners that support each other and are just so wonderful and kind and compassionate and there for the fight and engaged and, and, and totally, and willing to also set their own boundaries and take take breaks when they need to, which is what we're going to be doing the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. You will get content on the Daily Beans every day. I've put out one of my favorite interviews. So you'll be hearing from me and uh, you'll be hearing from them. Do you have any final thoughts? No, just I'm, I said this in the newsletter yesterday to our patrons. But for those of you who are not patrons, I just want to let you know that um, rest and joy are also forms of resistance. And so you should take some time to do that if you have the privilege to be able to do so um, uh-huh. in the, the next best, few weeks. Best revenge is living your best life. Yeah. Just, really. you know, it's been an exhausting fucking year. So just <laughs> like take care of yourself. And, you know, one correction we also got, um, which we didn't include, they said, hey, AG, when you do your sign off and you say take care of the planet, it should be take care of the human species <laughs> as opposed to, you know, taking care of the planet. Uh, Do you know what you I mean? You know what? I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm going to side with the planet on this I mean, one. You know what I mean? But yes. Yeah. But well, that was take care of each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I take clear. care of all species when I, when I talk about the planet. Mm-hmm. We should take care of everything. Mm-hmm. The flora, the fauna, the merry weather. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Bippity boppity boo. Please, everyone take care of yourselves. Yeah. Take care of each other. I've been AG. I've been Amanda Reader. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn, with engineering and editing by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, production, and social media direction is by Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder, and our knowledgeable listeners. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. M-S-W-Media. <laughs>